we are in Exodus 11, and actually, this is an interesting passage to teach because Exodus 11, chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13, um, or the first part of chapter 13, all kind of deal with the same plague, and that's really too much material to sort of bite off in one week. Um, we have the last of the 10 plagues, and that is, of course, the plague of the death of the firstborn. It's interesting, I've always called it the plague of the Passover. Passover isn't the plague, right? Passover is the deliverance from the plague. The, uh, the plague itself is the death of the firstborn. And that's the last plague. And associated with that, of course, is the Passover. And associated with the Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So over the next two weeks, we're going to try and cover all of that. But I don't think there's any way to do that in one, in one Sunday. Um, we end last week with the Plague of Darkness. And last week, we actually looked at three plagues. But we've gone through systematically, and we have seen God attack the gods of Egypt, bring judgment upon the people, and make his name known throughout the entire earth by the plagues that he's done on Egypt. <coughs> Last week was the plague, uh, we ended with the plague of darkness, uh, the final attack really on the, no, not the final, today is the final attack, but an attack on the, the, the God that they had the most faith in, in a sense, the one that was always faithful, the sun God, um, who always rose and always set and always did what he was supposed to do and provided life and heat and and everything that you need to grow, all of that stuff, and now for three days it's dark. And you can't even light lights in your house. And we end with Moses and Pharaoh kind of getting into it because uh, Pharaoh is still bartering with God. He says, go, um, but leave your flocks and herds behind. And Moses says, we can't do that. I'm not leaving the flocks and herds. And then... Um, then, or take only what you need to sacrifice. And Moses says, no, we're taking it all. And if you start at verse 27, it says, this is chapter 10, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to them, get away from me, take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Um, and that's where we leave off from last week. So even after all those plagues, Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. He's still bartering with God. And then comes the last and most horrible plague. Um, and really, if you stop and think about it, uh, all these plagues have been bad. But for every family in the entire nation to learn, lose their firstborn child. that is I mean we just kind of say it because we know it so everybody stop and think about your firstborn child right that's who would be gone um, we don't know if the plague took every firstborn child or just firstborn in a particular family right in other words let's say I'm not but let's say I'm the first George you're the firstborn no you're the firstborn. So d does George at his age get taken or is it just the firstborn in that particular family? We don't know. The interesting thing is that Pharaoh doesn't 
doesn't die, and we assume he was a firstborn because the firstborn was the line of succession, okay? But regardless, even if we limit it to just children, every home in the land of Egypt, somebody died that night. Um, and that plague causes the people to not just say go, but actually causes Pharaoh to force them out. Let's read the plague. We want to talk about the impact of that plague. And then we're going to talk about the Passover, which is, of course, the deliverance from that plague. Um, so starting in chapter 11, um, we're going to lead 11 down through um, 1 through 10, the whole thing. And then we're going to skip over and start at verse uh, 29 um, of chapter 12, because the plague is, is talked about and then it happens, and in between they talk the Passover. It says, the Lord said to Moses, yet one more plague, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from the here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as has never been nor ever will again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people go, uh, pe let the people of Israel go out of the land of Egypt. Um, actually go down to chapter 12, verse 12. Um, and then we'll jump over to the end of the passage. Uh, this is Moses explaining to the Israelites what will happen. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. Jump over to verse 29. This is the actual plague itself. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. But Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as they have said and be gone and bless me also. Um, and then jump over to uh, chapter 13, verse 
chapter 13. We're just going to read the first two verses. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Okay? Um, all of the plagues are sobering, but this one is perhaps the most sobering when you think again of the human um, response to this plague, for that many people, for every house to die. Uh, again, if we put it, make it more personal, if in everybody's house tonight somebody died, okay? So in your house and in my house and in everybody's house somebody dies, that's what it says. The, 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 the outcry of that would be, the, the, the pain of that would be incredible. In fact, it says the cry went out such as never was before and never will be again. Um, this is a hard plague to really to wrap our minds around. There would be people who would say because of this plague, well, you know, this, uh, how, how can God act like that, right? How can God do something like that? So let me just throw that out. How, how is God able to just do that, right? In other words, with that many people dying in, in one night throughout, and we would say probably children, right? So maybe innocent, we would think innocent children. How, how, do, we, how do we explain that to ourselves? How do, we, how do we deal with that particular concept? Okay. Yeah. But but God is sovereign over His creation. Okay. Go ahead, Darla. Well, that's an interesting question. Did, did they have the opportunity to be passed over? Did the Egyptians understand that they could, did they understand and did they, did they have the opportunity to do the same thing? He gave the leader. Was that? He gave the leader the opportunity. He gave Pharaoh the opportunity. He gave Pharaoh the opportunity. let the people go and this won't happen. But did they, did the Egyptians have the opportunity to put the blood on the doorposts and sacrifice and, and do what? what Israel had done. Okay, so some of them may be starting to believe. Yeah. Uh, Helen, you were shaking your head no. You don't think so? Okay, so it was simply for the Israelites. There's a statement that's made that kind of implies that, that you would know that I've made the distinction between my people Israel and, and Egypt. Um, there is something, though, that's interesting when you get to the actual story of the Exodus. Um, and that's in chapter 12, verse 
33, um, the result of the plague was exactly what God said it would be. Um, and it says, uh, starting in verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. That's an interesting phrase, a mixed multitude. Well, what is the mixed multitude? We'll go ahead. Yeah, uh, probably some of the Egyptians went with them or some of the people who were not Israelites. The mixed multitude means there probably were others besides Israel. There may have been people who had begun to worship uh, Yahweh, and in that case, they may have heard what was to be done and did that as well. We don't know. That's a little bit of speculation. Yeah, these, these are hard questions. Go ahead, David. Yeah, it's, it's easy to see a judgment like this and people dying and, and almost feel like, you know, something unjust has been done. But, but God grants life and God takes life. Every one of us at some point, God will say, it's time to stop breathing, right? Every single one, unless the Lord returns. But um, uh, until the Lord returns, not unless. Uh, well... Yeah, you get it. When the Lord returns, there'll be some of us who are caught up to meet him in the air. But, but for the most part, throughout history, God eventually says, your time is up. And for some people, that's a few years. And for some people, that's 100 years. And for Methuselah, it was 969 years, right? I mean, we have this range. When God takes somebody home, it's not God murdering. It's not him acting precarious or, uh, that's not the right word, um, it's not him acting in a way that doesn't make, it, it's his choice. Uh, what's shocking is that it all happens at the same time in, in Egypt. But the people are under God's judgment and the nation of, Israel, of Egypt is under God's judgment. And again, that's one of the main things. That the, the, the purpose of the plagues, if we go back, was to let the people go to judge Egypt for their sin, to judge the gods of Egypt, and to make the entire world know God, including Israel. 
And this plague does that. Yeah. Uh, chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 32. Yeah. If he did, it was very short-lived. But, um, but for, if, when you go back, and we were going to mention that, but you go back to the beginning where he says, I don't know your God. And now here the mighty Pharaoh is asking for God to bless him. Um, that's, even with his hard heart, himself hardening it, he still understood at this point. You, you ask for a blessing from somebody who's greater than you are. Uh, the gods of Egypt have been defeated, and you can see that by him acknowledging that he needs God to bless him. But it's not very long lived, right? Because he's gonna send the chariots out real quick uh, after them, all right? Now, a couple things, oh, go ahead, Ron. No, he is a god. He is a god. And so the only way to outdeal or outduel, I mean, uh, Pharaoh would be to demonstrate that you can take life. You give life and you take life. So that would be the greatest demonstration of, of uh, his power over the man, Pharaoh. Uh, yeah. Well, and even more significant, um, not, I shouldn't say more significant, but along with that, <clears throat> and I'm jumping around in my notes here a little bit, I, I like the, the comments. I mean, this is something we need to think through and, and process. This is, a, this is a horrific plague as to what it does. But remember again, we're an, we're an attack on the gods of Egypt. Uh, did you notice that phrase twice? It's from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the slave girl to the firstborn of the cattle. And then the second time, it's from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon to the firstborn of the cattle. Uh, but not any of the Israelites, or at least not any, I mean, they had to put the blood on the doorpost. My guess is they all did. Do you understand Pharaoh's son is put on exactly the same plane as the slave girl's son? and the prisoner's son and the cow outside's offspring, <laughs> calf, right? Um, in other words, there's nothing special about Pharaoh's son. And yet, who is Pharaoh's firstborn son? He's the offspring of Ray, the sun god, um, the, the queen mother, that's, that's actually her child. He is he is a God in his own right. He will rule Egypt. And what did God just do to the, to the, the God of Egypt? Took his life. You, you want to see my power? Fine. I, I will kill your God. Gail. Later came to him, 
And the difference is they had soldiers and all going through and, and getting the babies whereas with God it was just God's movement. Oh that's yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. At the beginning, we begin the story. I hadn't even thought of that. I think you go, begin the story. How do we begin the book of Exodus? All the children of Israel are being slaughtered. And this is the judgment upon Egypt, that they lose their firstborn. One other thought is the assumption of we as men is that long life for every human being is a, is a true blessing. But God knows the hearts of men, he knows who we're going to be, and quite possibly taking lives at younger ages is a greater blessing than allowing that individual to live their life into adulthood. Could be, yeah. Be a, a, a way of, yeah. Um, anyways, so we've got, we've got the gods of Egypt. This is the final straw. And we do have the the Egyptians responding exactly. Right. Oh, but wait, we should mention, why the cattle? Why the firstborn of the cattle? The cattle was, the cow was worshiped as well. The cow was the, was the uh, visible, we would call the theophany of Hathor, who is right next to Amun-Re, the sun god. Um, and so, and again, we talked about the Apis bull and how it was worshiped as God. The Apis bull, probably a firstborn, and probably died again. So uh, God just keeps taking on, but by, by, by bringing Pharaoh's son down to the level of all other children in, in Egypt, not even the gods could protect this child. Uh, God is sovereign over all of these gods. Uh, it's interesting if um, a lot of people believe that Amenhotep II was the pharaoh of the Exodus. His uh, successor was Thutmose IV, who was not a firstborn. Thutmose was not a firstborn, had to establish his legitimacy because he was not the firstborn. Because it was the firstborn, and that's true all through the uh, Middle East. It talks about the cry that goes up. Even today, the Middle Eastern people the, uh, are, are very expressive, especially uh, when they grieve. You, know, you picture a funeral <laughs> in the Middle East, right? And the wailing and the crying and the, the, the uh, expressions that take place. And so this cry goes out through, throughout the entire land. Um, one thing I should mention is that um, the, the passage ends with Pharaoh saying, you'll never talk to me again, and if you talk to me again, you're going to die, and Moses agrees. And then the very next thing is that Pharaoh, Moses is talking to Pharaoh, right? Um, what most people think is, uh, from what I could gather, is that this is actually one big conversation, that, that Moses is recording the parts of it, but that, but that actually in that conversation with with Pharaoh, before he says to Moses, you'll ne get out, you'll never see me, Moses actually probably tells him what's in chapter 11. So the, the order is a little bit switched. But probably at the end of that plague, he told him there's one more plague coming. By the way, that's a mercy in itself. Because who knows how long the plagues are going to go, right? We knew at the beginning there were 10 plagues. But you know what? Pharaoh doesn't know there's going to be 10 plagues. I don't even know if Moses knows there's going to be 10 plagues. But now God says one more, and this one will do it. All right. Um, all right. So, what's the significance of this plague? 
and I think we've already hit these, so we'll, we'll move on pretty quickly. Um, the first one is the final defeat of the Egyptian gods. Pharaoh finally says, your God is greater than me. Bless me. Your God is the great God. Um, God's name goes out through all the earth because of this plague. Um, they, this plague finally finishes the judgment upon Egypt and it accomplishes the purpose of the plague, which is to let the Israelites go. And then interestingly, and I think this one, that's why we read chapter 13, um, God claims for his own all the firstborn of Egypt because of this plague. Right? Remember chapter 13, verse 1 and 2? It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first open womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now I want to think about that for a minute. Why does God claim the firstborn of all of Israel's offspring from that point on? Because they were spared. Which, which means that, I say this, maybe I'm wrong in my thinking here, but just, just stay with me. In other words, God is saying, your children should have died too. But I claimed them for myself. They didn't die. This plague went throughout all of Egypt. Those children didn't die because I spared them for myself. In other words, if, if they weren't going to die as well, then that statement that I claim them for my own, in a sense, doesn't make sense. Although God can claim anything he wants for his own. But in other words, the, the, the Israelites were sinful people as well. The, 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 this judgment, this plague, could have fallen on them as well. And God claims the firstborn for himself as a result of that plague. But let me stop and take comments on that, because... Maybe that doesn't make sense. It's, it's not even completely clear in my own mind. It's just an interesting thing. If it was just for the Egyptians, then why would those firstborn belong to God? But this plague which hit the land of Egypt, the firstborn of Israel is spared so that they belong to God from that point on. Helen's not sure. Yeah. Yeah, Adrian. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. Yeah, I'm still waiting for responses to my idea because I, I don't want to speak heresy here. I just found it really interesting because, because in a sense, what God is saying is, look, I spared your children; they belong to me. But, but for sparing the children, if it's simply because of, there's something weird about that whole little interchange. But, but. In a sense, the Israelites were under the exact same judgment as the Egyptians, but God gave them a way of deliverance. And yet God says, because you did that, those children belong to me. And then the descendants there. And the descendants, yeah. From that point on, every firstborn. Yeah, because that the firstborn that were saved have descendants, but if they were uh, lost, the Egyptians, that's Group of people that don't have any descendants. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, say that again. Say, say that again. Well, the, the Egyptians, all of the firstborn, because we have that same thing, we don't have any grandchildren from our firstborn. 
And so that that's a group of people that's lost that are never going to be, I mean, they're terminated. So once you've taken the firstborn of Egypt, you've taken the firstborn of Egypt for all eternity, is what you're saying. Yeah, you know, that group of people, what would have been their descent? They'll never be, that, that group of firstborn will never have their own firstborns and so on. Yeah. Whereas firstborn of Israel will continue to propagate down throughout the, the ages. Yeah. Anyways, it's an interesting thought because the plague falls on the entire land. God does make a distinction, but you have to apply the blood for your child to be spared. And God says, that one now I claim for my own. And by the way, he applies the blood to us and he claims us for his own as well. Go ahead, David. Now, um, Adrian was mentioning this, and I do want to hit this. Uh, go over to Numbers 3, and a lot of you know this, but I, I think this is really important to point out at this point. Um, in Numbers chapter 3, <coughs> God um, makes a trade. Um, starting at verse uh, 5, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, uh, bring the tribe of Israel near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. So the Is Levites are chosen as ones who will be ministered to God. And then go down to verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And then what's really fascinating to me, I've, I've always, so I know I've talked about it before. They then count all the Levites. Uh, and they come up, if you look down at verse 39, with a number 22,000. 22,000 Levite males of the age that are going to be serving. And then they count the entire number of uh, firstborns. So go through the whole land of Israel, count all the firstborns, and they come up in verse 43 with 22,273. All right, little easy math problem. 22,273 minus 22,000 is? 273. There's 273 more firstborns. Now, I would think I would just make a straight trade, right? And that's really close. 22,000 to 22,273. It's not close enough for God because if you go down, um, he says in verse 46, well, in fact, let's, let's just start reading at verse 45. Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. Um, you shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from among those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. 
And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. So we're 273 off. You need to pay me five shekels ahead. Now we're even. From now on, the Levites are my firstborn. So this idea that the firstborn belongs to the Lord passed down, and that's why the Levites were set aside and why the Levites weren't given an inheritance of land. They, God was their inheritance, um, but they are the firstborn. So that's the plague of, of the firstborn. Um, and we're almost out of time. Any comments before we move on? I do want to introduce the Passover because we'll deal with that next week. By the way, just a little note. And I'm glad David's here, actually. But David can't help because he'll be teaching the other class. Um, I'm not going to be here, not next week, but the week after. And I think we should be back after that. So I need somebody to teach in two weeks. Walter? <laughs> How about Adrian? Adrian might be willing to do it. Two weeks. I was thinking Charlie. Charlie, I heard you're a pretty good Bible teacher. Anyways, I'm just throwing that out there. I need, uh, there'll need to be a substitute or you'll all need to go over to David's class. That's the other option, so. And that could work too. David, you ready to have everybody in there? Okay. Um, anyways, so just letting you know that that's coming. Any comments on this plague of the firstborn? We all understand it, we understand what happened. We understand the significance of it, at least part of it. I'm sure we haven't mined the depths of that. David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be the firstborn, firstborn male. Yeah, and that's an interesting comment because um, we we tend to live much more disconnected lives. But my guess is you stayed right. Um, family stayed together, so you had the patriarch and the ones underneath them. So when they say there's no house. Uh, basically, it means it affected the entire land. It's possible you had some widow living alone who wasn't a firstborn, but, but my guess is that the way that they lived, um, more people as an entire family, that there were people in every house that died. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, any other comments? Chapter 12? Chapter 11. Uh, go ahead. What is it that you want to comment on? Well, you're, you know, he's talking about all the Egyptians getting their gold and silver away. And then he talks about the Egyptians uh, uh, having great respect for, uh, for Moses himself uh, in the land of Pharaoh. So, I mean, what, what's, why are we throwing that in there? Well, I know from, from earlier on, this is how they're going to plunder the Egyptians. God is going to give them favor. Um, actually, this, that's an interesting verse because a lot of people point, use that verse that Moses was very great in the land of Egypt to prove that Moses didn't write that verse in Exodus because Moses would never have written that about himself. But it's actually pretty important because what you're, what you're seeing is by this point, the people have put Moses on very high, they, they respect him. Um, in, a, in a sense, more than they do the Pharaoh. And Moses has asked the people to go and take, borrow from the Egyptians. Not borrow, take it. We need you to give this to us. And the people are responding to Moses. They're actually responding to the prompting of God. Um, 
it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, how many of you, if your neighbor walked up and said, I would like your jewelry, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back and I want your jewelry, how many of you would give them your jewelry? I, I wouldn't, I'd say, fine. But this is how God repaid them for, or uh, plundered the Egyptians. That was payment for their years of service and it wasn't enough payment, right? So, but the reason that verse probably is in there, Moses probably had a little trouble writing that because it's not a very humble thing to say, but it, it lets you understand that when Moses said this is going to happen, this is why the people responded because of their great respect for him. I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but when you read that verse about the people respecting uh, Moses, and Moses stood as a representative of God, Yahweh before Pharaoh and, and Egypt and all of a sudden they're bowing down and giving great respect to Moses and reminded me of Paul's statement about when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that's every tongue not whether you were a believer or not every tongue will and here is a group of non-believers who are also now bowing down to Yahweh. Yeah in a sense doing exactly what Yahweh is is asking them to do yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Great respect for Moses, much greater respect for, for Christ. Um, all right. Any other comments? Adrian. I mean, some people have a problem with God, you know, having killing the firstborn, but I hear more people having a problem when they go to the promised land and God tells them to kill everyone. Uh, I hear that more often. Yeah. And, that, and all of those things are difficult things, but they also go back into God judges sin. And he says that he's going to judge sin right from the very beginning. And he will judge sinful nations, he'll judge sinful people, and he'll do it in the way he chooses. Once again, to us, death is a horrible thing. But like David said, we're all going to die. And there's a point where God says, this is your time is up. It's the, this part of the judgment. All right. I, I know we didn't move super fast through that, but I, I, I felt like we need to... We need to stop and think about the implications of that plague, uh, what it meant to the people, some of the things that it causes people to think. Like Gail said, her dad said, I don't think God would act that way. And that is a response here. But, um, and yet this is, this, is, this is our God. We go on to next week, the Passover, which is how God rescues his people, redeems his people. Um, um, incredibly significant, of course because it plays in right with, in fact, I wish we'd gotten to it today because that's what Pastor was talking about last week, right? I was sitting there listening to him going, oh, okay, he's talking about the Passover lamb. Uh, Paul talks about Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. We are redeemed by the blood of the lamb as well and, and that passes down through the generations. So that and then the, um, the, uh, the feast of, the, of unleavened bread, which we'll talk about. So any other comments before we, we finish? Okay, let's go ahead and pray.